but I saw on the horizon, the clouds stop just above the horizon and it's clear. I'm like, what are you doing? Magic's about to happen right now. It did, it happened and it was just like, I mean, just this strong ray of orange light just boom, lit up the whole landscape. And what made it magical was the background was that dark blue cloud. One of the highlight experiences of the year. And it was literally, it probably lasted six minutes. Wow. You know, so it was it was fast and furious, but it was one of those situations as a photographer where it felt slow motion. It was just so good. Welcome to Wild and Exposed, your wildlife photography and outdoor adventure podcast. Today, I'm going to take all of you to a place that's a little known secret gem. A magical place. I don't just don't expect it to be on your radar, but it should be. But before we go, I want to dial it in with my co-hosts and catch up with my podcast brothers from other mothers and hear what's been going on and where they are today. Let's start with Michael. Hello, Michael. Where are you today? <laughs> So we do, we do have visual cue on this podcast, even though we are making an audio podcast. And I guess Michael and I were just lost in each other's eyes for a moment there. It's been a couple of weeks since we've been, you know, in close proximity. So, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm in Denver. It's uh, Rocky Mountain. Yeah, it's really hot. Can you guys hear those church bells going? I get the windows open because it's so hot, and the church bells down Beautiful. the street are going to town. But uh it was 85 degrees here today, and it's it's not fun. It's October. It should be chilly, and the fall colors should be in the air, and it's not. It's just a different time and space here right now. Well, you said earlier that the temperatures are supposed to drop significantly this afternoon, so I hope it does. Yeah, I hope sake. so, too. Ron and I are going to try to head out to do uh, elk this weekend in Rocky Mountain National Park, so nice. the cooler the weather, the better. It's supposed to snow. Wow. Sunday, yeah. So it's That'll perfect. make for some nice backgrounds for the rut. Yeah, absolutely. So Ron, you're in Wyoming. You're at you're at home mm-hmm. at the Wyoming at the moment. and it's a little bit cooler here. It's about we're sub fifty, which is just starting to get perfect. Um colors are changing. The elk rut is going strong here. I uh, was out all weekend uh with some friends and yeah, we had some had some good encounters. Um, have been doing mostly just office work since last we spoke and editing and trying to get website updated, that kind of thing, all that fun stuff, and then get to go enjoy myself this weekend, hopefully. And I, I want to thank you for doing that because you held up my end on this latest podcast that was just posted today, too, on the doll sheep experience in central Alaska. So those listeners who haven't heard that and seen Ron's photos and our short videos tied to that, check it out on our website. And Ron got the editing done. He got his fantastic doll sheep images up for the show notes on that podcast. And I didn't because I'd been hiding in the wilderness, out of connection, away from internet and all that fun stuff. And a whole other world, really, nowadays, to not have connection. But I'm back. But thanks for doing that, Ron. And, and the images yeah. look awesome. And the shorts are fantastic that Tyler put together. There's four of them that tell that story like a little storybook. And you can come along and share the adventure with us. So, Doug, 
I know in the land that you call home, it's dark like it is where I am compared to the Western brothers here. How's it going? It is dark and steamy hot. We're about 90 degrees. Uh, sunset about oh, 45 minutes ago. And, you know, the mosquitoes, which are our state bird, they're swarming as usual. So uh, everything's good here. Everything, nothing, no change. Just working on fall schedule and doing some research for some upcoming BBC documentaries and just kind of holding it down here. A lot of office work this week. That's about it. Nice. How long well, does I'm it sorry. stay hot and steamy there? <laughs> we usually, we'll, we'll start getting a weather break um, the first, second week of November. Uh, oh, I mean, you, it, yeah, it'll get you down had to a 80s. weather break. Oh, yeah, we had a hell of a weather, weather break uh, two weeks ago. We had uh, you know, Hurricane Florence come through, and luckily we missed all the wind. Uh, but about 40 miles north of us, we had catastrophic flooding. The, the PD River that normally floods, its flood stage is 33 feet. Uh, it's, it's crested two weeks now after the – it's crazy. It's, uh, it's, it's a sad sight. Um, yeah, so people have been flooded for over two weeks now, and it's just crested. So it's it's gonna be another, it's gonna be weeks before it even comes down to people can get back in their homes. So yeah, but luckily where I live, we're high and dry, and uh, didn't uh, didn't get affected by any of that. So so I texted you just checking on you throughout the storm. I don't remember where I was at. I think mm-hmm. it was in Alaska, and you said <clears throat> one time when I texted you, you said, "Oh yeah, the eye of the storm is right over me right now." Yeah, What's that so like? It, that's uh, got to well, be it, amazing. It wasn't. Well, it, this was really a, for us where I live. It was really a non-event because, um, thank goodness, as soon as it came, well, actually about 50 miles before it made landfall, um, it went from a category three to uh, a category one and then immediately to a tropical storm. So by the time it got to me, it was 40 mile an hour winds, maybe 50 mile an hour gusts at the tops. Um, we did that where I live. We didn't even get three inches of rain, which is nothing for us. So, uh, but yeah, I was looking at the radar when I was talking to you, and, and the, literally the eye was passing over me right then. But now, 20 some years ago, when Hugo came through, it actually came through my town as a hurricane four. I mean, a cat four, and completely wiped the entire town out i mean gone off the face of the earth and that was where we actually saw an eye i mean you you, you could actually witness what the eye of a storm is because it was just blowing like hell um and then all of a sudden within seconds it's just whoosh, it's just just as calm you I mean not a whimper of wind anywhere and then 30 minutes later it's you know 180 mile an hour winds again so it's crazy so, yep. But anyway, wow. Okay, <laughs> that's the weather report for this week's folks. That's right. Back you to you, to wonder, sports. When, when the when the rivers are thirty-one feet above normal, you know that's causing devastation for houses and and farms and and. But you have to wonder about the aquatic ecosystem and what that kind of flush does to them as well to that right. landscape. It's it, it it's a sad uh, state of affairs all the way around. Wildlife. Uh, we actually closed our deer season, uh, deer hunting season for whitetails is open right now, and they actually closed the season because any dry ground that you have, there'll be deer on it. Period. I mean, there right. could be a one acre field besides a house, and they may have 400 deer on that one acre of land, and it's just 
you know, you know, shooting fish in a barrel. So they have to cut, they have to stop the, the season until water resides. So well, that's smart. Yeah. yeah. You have to wonder. And, and, and the wetlands that you love so much too, right? I mean, what happens yeah, it's there? Gonna destroy, it's going to destroy, it's going to be, you know, it's flushed out all the acorn crop probably. So what are, what are the wetlands going to be like this fall for ducks? Probably not going to be any food. Um, you know, all the duck impoundments, probably not going to be any food. So it's going to be uh, interesting uh, fall and winter uh, waterfowl right. migration so, to yeah, see what tough. happens. That's yep. tough. Yep. Um, I also want to thank Missy for joining us as our producer today in Denver. And I am coming from my home here in Ontario. I've been home for a couple of days after being away for a month. I was home for less than 24 hours in September. Uh, thankfully, uh, I was let back in when I did arrive at the end of my <laughs> second trip, and all is good. Um, but well, what's the weather like up there? Oh, it's autumn. It's just you know I was talking to Tyler today, our, our trip videographer, and I was saying to him, it's what we do in in the fall. I love it because it's like riding a long wave as as a surfer. You know, we get to fly north to the tundra at the end of August, and autumn is starting then within days the tundra turns red and then we experience that for a couple of weeks and we move a little bit further south uh, sometimes to the northern rockies and in this this time instead of the northern rockies i went to newfoundland i had a, i had uh, two assignments back to back there and so newfoundland is just a little bit south of where we were in alaska so it was just the beginning of fall and so now that i'm in ontario two and a half weeks after that it's the colors are just starting here. The temperatures are just starting to drop. I don't believe we've had a frost here yet, but it, it's fun because it's just a matter of it's getting back in gear for the animals here now. So I'll switch over and do a lot of whitetails as this month progresses. And the past uh, the past couple of weeks, I mean, that it was in Alaska was awesome. And you know, our our audience, I really hope has heard those podcasts because we had a great trip for all kinds of reasons and we had a few podcasts that we put out from that trip then i went off to newfoundland i had to bail on my brothers here and and go and make some money on some projects but i've been going to newfoundland on and off every two to three years since 2002 and it's a magical place and i i've pitched this to so many friends out there it's it's a little known as far as across North America, it's amazing how few people have thought about going to Newfoundland. Mm -hmm. It's not even on their radar. Uh, but it's an amazing destination for a whole list of reasons. And it's refreshing. I think I was the only big lens on the island. <laughs> really? You know? Yeah, yeah, for one. And everybody loves you there for that. Now, the Newfoundlanders are some of the friendliest, most interesting people on the planet to begin with. But it's so refreshing to go somewhere as a professional photographer and say, hey, this is what I'm doing. And everybody's like so happy to see you and, and interested in what we do. And basically, you know, my project was filming wildlife for these clients. And I learned from Michael, you know, over the years, talk to locals, talk to people. Well, there they'll take you. They're like, shut everything down. Let's show this guy where the moose is. <laughs> That's crazy. We That's love crazy. you. You don't get that anywhere else. Not in the lower 48. It's it was so they don't refreshing. Want, they don't want you around. I mean, because most places like Yellowstone, they've been so inundated by millions of people and exactly. photographers. And it's just, 
it becomes a circus. And uh, even though we do bring an awful lot of money to the economy, um, you know, they a lot of the locals, uh, they get a little tired of it. So that's refreshing to hear. There's still some virgin territory. So, Mark, well, put I it was, on the map wait, for I, us. I was, I was there, Doug, so I can't say it's virgin anymore. But... <laughs> <laughs> but it it as far as wildlife photography goes i i just love it there on the map it is yeah, so you fly um, out of toronto so for this to, trip for of a course, flight yes. time you're going from toronto to how far of a it's, flight it's nothing so it's a it's a two and a half hour flight if you go direct most flights don't uh so you'll hub in through halifax so from toronto an hour and a half flight to halifax another hour and a half flight and you're there it depends where you're going in Newfoundland. Now, Newfoundland's affectionately called the Rock because of its barren landscape. It's like it's like going to Norway. I mean, the other thing about Newfoundland, it's got more than one World UNESCO World Heritage Site on it. I mean, it's got Grossmore National Park, which will blow you away with the scenery. And the ease of access and the friendly fishing ports all around. I mean, these colorful little trawlers that go in and out and the, the lifestyle these people lead. It's, it's, And this is not meant in a negative way whatsoever, but it's like going back in time. It's so refreshing, the, the simplicity of it, the friendliness of it, the, the fact that nobody locks their doors and leaves their keys in their car. Right. I mean, it's the way it should be. And so places like Gross Morn, Gross Morn is this national park where there are, there are two fjords. One's a landlocked fjord, so it's a freshwater fjord that you can take a boat tour up called Western Brook Pond. Now for people, this seems like it's foreign, it's not. This is in North America, right? It's just, Newfoundland is this big island up at the, at the headwaters, the Gulf of the St. Lawrence. And it's easy to get to. You're flying from Halifax to where? Right, so on this trip I flew to Deer Lake, and most often I go to Deer Lake, and it's a quaint little town uh, with an international airport with a handful of flights per day coming from other hubs. Uh, you can go to St. John's. St. John's is the main largest city in Newfoundland. Now, Newfoundland's also, a, it's kind of a sister province. It's called Newfoundland and Labrador. So Labrador is north of Quebec. And so they're governed by the same provincial government. And at the top, it's pretty cool. I mean, I'm going to get into all this detail, but when you drive up the northern peninsula of Newfoundland, which you have to do, you get up there to the ferry crossing and you can see it's like, I think it's something like 11 kilometers or let's say eight miles across. You can see to Labrador. And, you know, that's a whole other landscape up there, the Torn Gap Mountains. And it's just a rugged, arctic, amazing tundra landscape, polar bear central, you know, awesome place, caribou. And they get polar bears in Newfoundland, too. I've had some great stories told to me by locals. And, you know, one fellow has his own cabin. He spends time in the winter. And one day he went out in their polar bear tracks outside. You know, I think there were something like 14 came ashore last year. Most of them leave in early spring on their own accord. But the two or three that might not, they end up just darting them and flying them back across. So during the summer, there aren't any there. Another thing about Newfoundland, now this isn't wildlife photography, but for those that go in spring, early summer, the icebergs that go by, uh, you know, are world renowned, the photography of that. And then I definitely the wanted to do that for sure. Yeah, that's, been, that's kind of been on my radar, but I'll tell you not to hijack your story, but have you seen the actual wild horses out there? No, no. But so that's, 
I don't think that's off Newfoundland. I could be wrong. Sable Island off the off the eastern coast of Canada has wild horses. And it's a small island, which that population is a bit touch and go right now, right? Okay. I think it's getting to a critical low. I, 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 sure. It may be Sable, but I, I was thinking it may have been Newfoundland. Anyway, I'm working on a documentary about wild horses on the east coast of the United States. And the horses up there actually have the same... DNA gene as the horses, the wild horses on our coast, uh, which is a Puerto Rican pacifina, so Puerto Rican wild horse gene, uh, and it's found also in those same horses, which then you can trace the history all the way from Newfoundland to um, Puerto Rico and then back to England, which is kind of amazing. Right. Yeah. Wow. No idea. Who would have guessed that? Yeah, so I want to talk to you further about that, but anyway. Well, you got the icebergs, then there are whales, and I mean, I can go in so many directions. Uh, I'm going to jump back into my previous train of thought that I lost for a moment there, and about Gross Morn in this landlocked fjord, they do a tour through there, a boat tour. But for people who don't know about Newfoundland, and most North Americans don't for whatever reason, and the advertising, what they do through tourism is phenomenal for their, their videos. So if you go on YouTube and you just type in Newfoundland tourism or something and watch some of these videos, they're so engaging. And when you do that, also Google Western Brook Pond and look at this view. Now, the view that you often see uh, pictured on online is at the end of that boat ride and it's a day hike up to this high country. But what's also amazing about this area, I mean, it's covered in moose and super cool woodland caribou. And that's what I was there to film. Uh, and the moose story is a good one because in Newfoundland, they were introduced. They weren't there to begin with. They were introduced for sport uh, twice. The second time in 1904 with, I think it was four individuals, four or six to the island. So that's what's populated this island to a high point that was estimated at about 125,000 moose. Wow. Since 1904. Now, oh yeah. Yeah, it's a land of moose love, right? <laughs> so, so when was the when was the first time, Mark? You said I the was, second. Yeah, second it was, was in 1904. Yeah, I was worried you'd ask that. It was late late 1800s. <laughs> it was late 1800s, and I think it was only a couple. And they didn't they didn't it didn't seem to be successful. So they did it again. They brought some moose over from New Brunswick, and that's what stemmed this population. So the genetic diversity from a biology perspective, is interesting because it's quite limited. But yet there's over 100,000 animals that are living successfully on the island. And it's generated a huge tourism industry, you know, whether it's for sport, for hunting, or whether it's for viewing. Now, there's an interesting spin on that in the modern sense. One would argue there are nowhere near 125,000 moose in Newfoundland right now because there have been harvesting a lot more to reduce the population and why that is is interesting. I find it interesting as a as a mooseaholic was that people were hitting moose by driving, right? So many moose. The joke was years ago it was a Newfoundland speed bump, right? But <laughs> when you hit when you hit a moose, that's it's more that's, than a speed bump. Yeah, very dangerous, and people were dying. And so there was a threat of a, a class action lawsuit against the government by people who have lost family members because back in the day it was the government that brought the moose in. So there was some suggestion that they were liable. So to counter that, the government has issued, you know, significantly more tags to reduce the moose populations. And it's been effective. Uh, but the problem is, unfortunately, people just have to slow down. And people that have lived and, and grown and spent their whole lives in Newfoundland know that. They, 
they avoid driving at night at all costs unless it's an emergency and if they do drive at night they drive very slowly because the moose appear you know just out of, out of the blue so and i i had said that i would never drive at night i always tried to time it because there's just so many animals there so this is an interesting little sidebar my flight and i touched on this in the last podcast my flight was messed up with this airline that i'm not going to travel with again <laughs> I was I was supposed to arrive in Deer Lake at 1 p.m. I had a four and a half hour drive to my destination for evening to meet and greet my clients and to get set up for the next morning. Well, the 1 p.m. flight failed, so I ended up having to fly out at 6 p.m. because, again, there are only so many airplanes going into Deer Lake, which put me, I left Toronto at 6, put me in Deer Lake at midnight. I fly in, I get my rental car, I go to the nearest fuel station 24 hours there, and the only car fueling up is an RCMP cop car. So I walk up to the dude, and I'm like, hey, what's your opinion on this, buddy? I'm going to drive to the very northernmost point of Newfoundland tonight. And he looked at me and says, hey, you're crazy, man. <laughs> <laughs> and it's one of those things. It's like, you're going to die. And I'm like, well, I don't want to die, but I want to get there. I said, you know what? It's this is totally messed up because it's my first time working with this client. I want to be on time. If I say that I missed my flight, you know, just people automatically think, well, it's got to be your fault, you know, and I don't want to go through a big song and dance explaining all this specifics. So I said, all right. So I go in, I get some Red Bull, I get some Gatorade, I get a pack of jerky, my friends for the night in the car, and I head out in the darkness across the northern peninsula of Newfoundland, which is a no-no. I know it is. But Instead of doing the 80 kilometers or maybe 90 or 100, which is, you know, 50 miles an hour, I back it down. But it makes for one hell of a long night doing <laughs> 60 kilometers an hour for what should be a four and a half hour journey becomes six and a half hours. I roll in there at sunrise after seeing seven moose, one black bear, three red foxes and one snowshoe hare and one domestic cat on the road. But I didn't hit anything. Anyway, so that's where I went. And so when people go to Newfoundland, they drive slowly, be sensible, know there's lots of moose. That's the rule of the game. Be smart. Use your common sense. Don't rush. Don't drive distracted, you know, because there's forests along the road and out they pop. So at a reasonable speed and everybody should knock on wood be safe. But when you go to places like Grossmore and you've got the fjords, you know, you can kayak there. And But the thing about it is there's just so much wilderness in Newfoundland. And it's covered by evergreens, boreal forest. But it's a unique boreal forest because, it, I mean, there's blueberries there. So I like that from Alaska, spinning over, sampling the wild blueberries. But there's something they call there called Tuckamore with a T. Making clear, it's a T. Tuckamore. Now or the tuck, they like to call it. Tuckamore is like a juniper on steroids. An angry, sorry, angry juniper on steroids. Angry? That, angry, yeah, angry. And because you cannot go through this, and it's everywhere. You have to move around it. It's just branches everywhere. So it's like the alder willow thickets in Alaska, right? But even meaner, really, just trips you up so there's no way to navigate through it it's impossible so you have to go around all these tuckamore groves but as a wildlife photographer that's advantageous because so do the animals there are all these game trails that circumnavigate and so you know i got my boots on and my camera pack and off i go 
So, again, back to the Michael hack, you talk to locals. And I heard from some locals where I'd find there was a woodland caribou stag that was hanging out. Actually, I'm getting ahead of myself. I was told before that where there were 200 woodland caribou hanging out in these highlands. And, again, woodland caribou are heavier. They're the the largest bodied caribou, darker coat, and still have majestic antlers. Not quite as tall antlers as barren ground, but still very majestic. And I was told about this herd of up to 200 caribou above the tree line in this high country, right at the very top of Newfoundland. So when you fly into Deer Lake, you rent your car, you drive one hour, and you're in gross morn. At that point, mind blown. Just with the culture, the simplicity, the coolness of life, and the fjords, the coast, the ruggedness, the cabins, you can stay there. And it's it's an economical it's a trip compared to most destinations. I was going to ask you about that. Is You know, the... The logistical part of it, yeah, is it expensive or? No, it's awesome. My SUV was thirty-five bucks a day. Uh, my flight return from Toronto was four hundred and twenty bucks, and to ca- to rent a cabin on the ocean is one hundred twenty bucks in in autumn. So, and those beautiful. are those are Canadian prices, or is that U.S.? No, sir, that's Canadian. We're in Newfoundland. We're talking about here. Well, so, yeah, yes, but Canadian sometimes price. you throw out the U.S. Yes. price too. So right. we got to. What it, what's the exchange rate right now? It's like a third, right? It is a third, yes. So we could yeah. go up there for nothing. You should go. Yep. Wow. And the moose rut and the caribou rut on right now, and I need to go back. But we're doing this podcast, so I'm not going to leave for the next <laughs> for the next 45 minutes. <laughs> so you fly to Deer Lake. You have the one-hour drive. You're in Grossmore, and you spend some time. There's some incredible hikes. And one of the coolest things on planet Earth is, is also in Grossmore and called the Tablelands. You drive around the one fjord, and on the south side is this red rock mountain escape with very little vegetation growing on it. And what it is is one of the few places on planet Earth where the Earth's mantle has been pushed up to the surface, and nothing grows on that. So hiking the Tablelands is like hiking on Mars. But it goes for maybe five miles, and it's a big mountainous valley, very cool experience. And they've got a big modern visitor center there, interpretive center, very cool to to read up on it and to experience that. So you do the gross morn thing, and then you head north. And one of, this is my favorite part of Newfoundland is up at the top, because at the top is where the Vikings were. And yeah, I was going to ask about that. I think Newfoundland has some of the earliest – European settlements on in North America, if I'm not mistaken. I think it was even before the Vikings landed on the East Coast or like in the New England area, wasn't it? And and as for our audience, I did not cue Ron on that, but <laughs> he is absolutely right. So the Viking village that was discovered in 1960 is the only certain site of Viking Norse settlement in North America, and it was the first European settlement in the New World. And Vikings landed there over a thousand years ago. And so they've recreated this site, the sod houses. And trust me, when you're standing there, you feel like you're a Viking. You can't help it on the landscape you're standing on. It's on the edge of this coast, and you look out on the ocean, and there's these giant rock islands and you can you're there you know with blink and you're there and the vikings are there and they've done a great job of recreating it 
And I just, it was one of the thrills and always is when I go to that part of Newfoundland, just to be there and to, f- to feel that, that history, that cultural That's cool. history. That's very cool. So where I went for this caribou tip, I was told there's an ATV trail, a four track or two track, sorry. And you just follow it up for half an hour and you get up above the timberline. So I parked my vehicle and I head up beautiful afternoon, sunny afternoon, feeling like I'm on top of the world, loving life, waiting to see caribou. I hike up, get up there, moose tracks all over the place. The odd caribou track, I get above the tree line, still beautiful afternoon, no caribou within sight. Now, Newfoundland has so much fresh water, it's crazy. There's a lot of rocky ground that's easy to walk on. There's all these Tuckamore groves that are hard to get around, but there are also a lot of big bogs. So a lot of wetland that you have to navigate and be smart and, and careful because these bogs if you get on a, on a, near the water sometimes the whole thing's just undulating and danger danger so just have to be smart about that so i got up there and there are these bogs and i skirted around them and went to the high country still no caribou playing the wind right you have to do that with the woodland caribou they're so much fun to photograph because you can fool them so easily but the number one thing for the initial contact is they can't smell you. So play the wind your favor. I'm hiking up. I get to this high point. I found fresh droppings. So exciting. Tracks. <laughs> I found where the lichen had been torn up and caribou had been feeding. And I get up over this rocky point. I still don't see any caribou. And the wind in minutes has changed. Same direction. But the velocity is now gone from next to nothing to about 40 miles an hour and increasing by the minute. And I'm like, oh, heck. And here I am walking around with my iPhone on my Osmo doing these shorts, telling the story. And I'm telling you, I'm going to order one of these lapel mics because half of my stories at this point, you couldn't hear. I'm just lip syncing away here (laughs) (laughs) because of the wind. And I can't tell because I'm not plugged into the iPhone. It's not like I got a feedback to know it. And so it's like, damn, these are, none of them were any good, but it was fun up there. The wind becomes this crazy, like it was up to maybe 60 miles an hour at this point. I crest back over the ridge and look toward the Viking village. And I pointed this out in the previous short, pointing over my shoulder to where the village is. But you can't see it anymore. All you can see is this huge front blowing in of rain. And I'm like, oh, no. Actually, I said something else. But like that. (laughs) And I had my gear in my backpack. So I did another video clip or two just to show how insane it was. Still no caribou. You know, pout, pout. Put my raincoat on and start. And I hiked back down. Started to pour rain about a third of the way back. As I'm hiking down, there are huge moose tracks in my tracks on the trail. It's like, damn it. I get halfway to the bottom, and I'm in blue sky again. I'm like, the weather's just playing me here. But I looked up to the high country, still pouring rain, but where I'm heading is beautiful. The systems changed that quickly. But the wind still persisted up there, so I didn't go back up. And there were three hours left in the day. So I ended up going to check out the little town near the Viking village, because I hadn't been there before. Which leads me into my next story, where a local told me that they had seen an incredible woodland caribou stag two and a half hours away at this other place. So that was my plan next day. I did that. I got there and found the caribou. There are only seven of them in this group, seven or, yeah. And 
one one bull. Now in Newfoundland, so normally with caribou we call them a bull, cow, and a calf in Alaska or the Yukon, but they don't call them that in Newfoundland. It's a stag, a doe, and a pricket with a <laughs> p, a pricket. <laughs> so this group had one stag. Uh, two younger stags, uh, two does, and two prickets. And I had an amazing photo shoot with these caribou. I ended up doing three photo shoots on them. And it was funny because it's this thing, as a wildlife photographer, when you have an opportunity, when it's in your lap, you work it, right? right. So I had to drive two, uh, two hours each way to the cabin I'd been renting for the, the next three days. By, by the third night, I'd relocated to this new spot because it was too too good and I didn't want to drive it dark because I'd stay there till dusk uh, through moose country but each shoot it was interesting you know the first thing we try to do is get a good picture right so I'm on assignment I need to check that box I need an impressive caribou stag so the first thing I do is you know work the wind that's another I was going to talk about with the caribou they're so funny white that's the trick that's the hack white mm -hmm. it could be a I didn't have a roll of toilet paper. I knew somebody who tried that with a roll of toilet paper and worked. But just a white plastic bag, a white T-shirt, you just flip it. The wind sear flavor, you flip it, and they're coming. Whoa, that must be Brenda over there, my buddy. Who's that? Let's go see. <laughs> right? And they go trotting over, and they'll come right up to you. You know, easy photo range. So hold on. And so once you play the wind, yeah, and then once they see you and they know mm -hmm. you're not a threat, then it's all good? Or do you have well, to continue to play the wind all day? No, you don't. No. I'd say for the first 20 minutes, you play the wind. Once they're close enough to see you, then they relax and, and things chill out. You can work. Then if you need to pivot around to get the light to your advantage and all that kind of stuff, you can. So on the first shoot, I was just trying to check the box to get some good images to look after this assignment. But then I kept going back and finding the group. The second time I went, I didn't find them. Uh, but the following the two times after that I did and they were in different areas and so it created you know the imagery I got from these three successful shoots blew away my portfolio of all these years of going there because he was such a magnificent stag but they were in a variety of settings and then one night here's the shot this is the shot of the this made my two and a half weeks there worthwhile this one experience it was a dark cloudy evening so I filmed them up to the point where the light would tolerate so ISO, you know, I'm, I don't like to go over 1,000. I'll go, if something behavioral is happening, I'll, I'll go to 1,600. But I capped it. But I saw on the horizon, and I'm right on the ocean here. I mean, the ocean is, when I was filming at this point, was 300 yards away. Wow. I can, I can see on the ocean the clouds stop just above the horizon, and it's clear. Just that last five minutes. So I stood there and stood there with the caribou, with the back, my back to where the sun's going to set. And then, you know, and there were, there were a couple other people there, no other photographers. And that's the one other thing about Newfoundland. It was, ah, just loved it. It's all to myself that way, not to be selfish. But everybody left because they thought it was dark. And like, what are you doing? Magic's about to happen right now. So I stood there and I didn't know. I mean, maybe the clouds would drop. You know, or, or how quickly the sun would go through that little opening of clear sky. But it did. It happened, and it was just like, I mean, just this strong ray of orange light just, boom, lit up the whole landscape. And what made it magical was the background was that dark blue cloud. Mm -hmm. 
Oh, and, yeah, I bet that's impressive. Uh, I tell you, I, I, one of the highlight experiences of the year. So the, he, the, the the bull or stag is just perfectly illuminated, and he he did head-on verticals for me, and then walked broadside. So the whole scene with that light on him, and it was literally it probably lasted six minutes. Wow. You know, so it was it was fast and furious, but it was one of those situations as a photographer where it felt slow motion. It was just so good. You right. know, that's that's what that's what we all dream about. It's it's those moments when, you know, you've worked too hard to get into a situation and you you it gets to a point where you've got to roll the dice and gamble. Do do I leave and go somewhere else because something else, you know, the situation may be better, or do you, you know, roll the dice and gamble that, well, this might turn if this happens, this might turn into something spectacular. And, um, you know, and then when it does happen and everything kind of unfolds the way you thought it might, uh, that's when you just, you know, for me personally, I know I can't, you can't wipe a smile off my face at that point, you know, just like, yeah, you know, that's what it's all about. You know, that moment, whether it's 10 seconds or whether it's, you know, 10 minutes. So, yeah. So that's awesome, man. That's, yeah, I, he's still I, I got love a smile his on his face. He can't wipe it off <laughs> <Yeah>. still. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was amazing, and it was it was luck, and it, it, we all deal with that because I mean there are other subjects we could pursue, right? I could have said, you know what, I'm going to leave now and go look for moose because they were moose in that area too, but to stay with the caribou and the moose wouldn't have worked because they were in the in the forest. It's not forest, but there's enough evergreen there that it would have blocked the sun. But yeah, when we get to feel this kind of experience, uh, you know, it's hard to wipe the smile off. And I can throw a curveball out there right now and say, hey, Missy, what about that lynx? <laughs> Look at that smile, right? <laughs> Lynx, kittens, so and So can mom you get those all. caribou right down on the ocean, too? I mean, you, okay. you said you're only 300, okay. what, 300 yards away? Okay, listen to this story now. So the next, <laughs> the next morning I get there, and I'm there at sunrise, and I'm, I'm hunting around. Where are they? Where are they? You know, because they can easily disappear. But they were right near the ocean. They were... In the same open expanse, maybe 400 yards further. So I join up with the group. And by this time, they're like, hey, Mark, you're back, right? The hey, little, the... look, it's that little white pricket. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. All right, folks, gloves are off. Ron's, Ron's throwing it down now. Oh, geez, eh? That was rough. That was rough. I, got, I had to flex my abdomen. I took that shot. All right. I had, speaking of the prickets, they were awesome, the two of them. And Ron, you know, I'm not, I'm not like that. I'm not calling you a pricket back, but maybe I will. No, the two prickets, one of them was so playful. It would get within like two feet of me and would like look at me and stare and then like do that. Like, you know, like how a dog does a puppy bow and like, let's play. It would do that. It would bounce back. Wait, and say, man, you said two feet. Yeah. Are you yeah. serious? Yeah, right up to me, for sure. And then it would go over 15 yards and bed down and curl up and fall asleep. What's yeah. the doe doing at this point? Well, they they were born last spring. And that, well, this is a whole other story I can start right now. But um, <laughs> does do not protect their young like moose do for caribou. Okay. Wow, so there, okay. There's no aggression from a female toward somebody because you're, you're – I mean, I've never seen that anyway. Never heard about that. You do have to watch the stag a little bit. I've never had an experience of aggression with a caribou bull or stag. 
I've heard people say it. I'm skeptical. I don't know. You know, everybody fend for themselves. But you have to watch him. He had one doe or or cow there that he was very interested in. It was too early, three weeks before their rut. But he would keep running off the two young stags from her, would not let them near her. But she had no interest in him yet. So he was a bit fired up. So I did pay attention to him, his, his position, my position relative to the female and him. And so that he never felt that, you know, we were, I was in his way. Um, but yeah, to that story about going to the ocean. So they were about 400 yards away, beautiful sunrise morning, clear morning. And they just get up and start heading to the water. And I'm thinking, I mean, camera ready, but what the heck are you guys doing? You don't drink salt water. Right? Who drinks salt water? And they go down, and this one um, doe goes and stands on the rock right at the water, and puts oh, her God. nose puts her nose in, and she took a little drink, but not much. So I'm like, this is weird. But then they all join. They all come trotting down. So I have this picture of the caribou standing on the edge of the ocean at the at the rock on this rocky shoreline. But what they were doing were they went to drink out of the puddles on the rocks. 30, 40 yards up from the water's edge. So the rainwater, they did drink there. Mm -hmm. So that's why they went down. But it was interesting to see them at the edge of the water. I was just scratching my head and taking lots of pictures because I thought it was some weird anomaly. Is the, So is the coastline, is it uh, steep and rocky where, the, where they're at? It's it, it varies. Where they were at, no. So there were banks, grassy banks, that you would, you could traverse down pretty easily that might go 50, 60 yards. And then they'd plateau on a rock shelf at this point that went maybe another 80 yards, and then there was the water. So back to when you're up there shooting with them, um, the, so the effective working range that, that you're talking about being with all of these animals, what are we talking? Are we talking most of the time 50 yards from the bull or the stag or whatever you want to call it? He's smiling again. It's, yeah, it's probably like it's, a 24 millimeter. <laughs> I, I, you know, and, and, okay, so I have to back up and say, you know, with these telephotos, we don't need to get overly close to these animals. So right. I prefer to be further back and just let them behave naturally and film them that way. And that's always the smart way to do it. But it is a really cool experience for me when I'm by myself in these caribou. Just It's like we've had with sheep, the mountain sheep. Sometimes they'll just walk up and past you. And they're doing their own thing. They feed their way past. There's nothing more going on. So that was happening, where I'd get ahead of them to keep the light in position to what I wanted or the background. And they'd feed right past. And the prickets, love that word, you know, they they go past sometimes at 10 feet. And, you know, the, the stag, um, yeah. I never, I probably, I didn't need to be that close to him, so I wasn't. But there were a few times that he was 20 yards. Um, yeah. It's it's whatever you wanted it to be. It right. wouldn't have been an issue at that point. They're pretty chilled. But, you know, that's not something I'd say to people, go see how close you can get to that. It's no, not, that's no, not no. It no, was more that they, means. Yeah, yeah, they were just working their way past me out on the tundra. And I was sitting there, literally sitting on my butt photographing them for the camera angle not when the stag was close but as they were going by so it was it was a fun experience because of the proximity so you said you've been there several years in uh in the past um is that the typical 
kind of experience as far as distance, you know, shooting distance that you experience? Uh, with the with the woodland caribou there, right. um, not necessarily. So the last trip I was there on on a similar assignment was three years ago, and I was at this this time three years ago I was in Gross Moor and I tried to focus a lot of my time there. This trip I didn't for a variety of reasons, but I found a, a cow or a doe caribou that was uh, maybe two hundred yards out down this trail on on the edge of this bog. So I went to her. And then a few hundred yards past her, I saw this magnificent stag. And that morning was a total uh, waste. Nothing happened because the wind was from me to him. And no matter how I tried to navigate around that bog, which was a treacherous bog, so I had to be very careful and only follow uh, caribou game trails. You could see the footpath. Otherwise, the water was just everywhere. And you could easily just be um, checkmated out there. You know, not know where to go because there's every direction of these little ponds and they're not safe to be right at the fringe of. So I couldn't navigate around. And he actually joined another stag and they actually sparred like 250 yards from me. And I, I desperately tried to safely navigate, never had any success. Gotten. So no pictures that time. And in fact, on that whole trip, I was there for a week and I only had that one doe uh, for photos. And the moose at that time uh, were being reduced as well well so i think i saw six moose in in a hard week of looking Mm. but i so i found a different place this time and um i want to just close on the caribou story with as another thing that even after 20 some years of being a wildlife photographer you know creating composition and landscape there are these templates we have and we always try to push these boundaries and be more creative and come up with some other looks and on the third photo shoot with this caribou he was on this big rock surface, and I didn't even lift my camera because I'm like, I don't want a caribou walking across the rock. What good is that? But then I lifted my camera for whatever reason, and I all of a sudden the picture formed because there was this, this vista behind and this mountainous landscape, big platform, flat mountain off in the background that gave great depth and just the rock. And you can see the clean, the whole animal too, right? So just trimmed the rock right below his hooves. And it was a beautiful image, and, and the light was fantastic, which made it work. So it was, yeah, a lot. So those three successful shoots, I just, you know, it was a great um, library building experience because of the different light, overcast shoot, sunny shoot, crazy evening light shoot, and then different habitat as well. You right. had such a you had such a good shoot, good encounter with the smaller group down below. You never did try to go back up high after the the bigger yeah. group. I didn't know it was too far away and I was moving to the final week of my time in Newfoundland I was going to be on the very southern part of the island I was flying in on a 1956 de Havilland beaver plane my first time on a beaver very cool plane and man this guy he was probably in his mid-30s but he flew that thing like he was maestro and it's so old school right i mean i they jokingly said the company went out of business because they built them so well they last forever that's true yeah and yeah, he just they are amazing aircraft he, he would just hit these dial oh, yeah it was just something to see him work the aircraft and uh, so i did some really fun aerials and some really cool time lapse of the flight because the flight that i took in the was in morning beautiful light and we went over one fjord, and in just that landscape, 
of Newfoundland and it made for a really cool video. And the other thing that I loved about the Beaver was sitting co-pilot, I could put the window down and shoot mm -hmm. out the window and not have anything obscuring it. No opaque glass with marks on it and stuff. So that was really cool. And, and we tent camped it one night in there and hiked a lot for moose. And, and so to spin on, well, before I get into the moose story, I just want to touch one other thing on caribou. So the caribou population in Newfoundland is low. It has dropped significantly since well, in the past two and a half decades because in 1985, a small group, uh, I've heard two, I've heard four coyotes crossed an ice bridge from Nova Scotia to Newfoundland and have since populated the island. And they've tried to cull them and reduce them, but it's impossible because Newfoundland is just heavily forested. There's no way to get through that and coyotes or coyotes are way too smart and are survivors and the impact that's had has not been on moose because we all know that moose moms are very protective of their calves and good luck mr coyote right um now there are a lot of black bears and big and beautiful black bears in newfoundland um, will prey on moose calves and caribou but not to the point where they're going to drop the numbers like the coyotes have so the coyotes have populated the island of newfoundland and because caribou moms aren't as protective, uh, it's decimated the population to the point of concern. So the wildlife management stepped up and greatly reduced uh, any harvesting of woodland caribou. And honestly, in the past decade, my trips going there, the caribou populations do seem to be rebounding because I would never see <clears throat> young of the year or crickets. And so it's just refreshing to see them and, and see a population that that's, seems to be rebounding. So whether, you know, one could speculate that the caribou moms are getting, the ones that have survived are just getting a little smarter at protecting their young or avoiding predation. Um, I don't know what the reason is, but thankfully they seem to be rebounding because they're a magnificent animal. Well, so, wildlife has a, a way of uh, uh, evolving. Right. You know, based on its need so it'd be interesting to to see where that goes 50 100 years from now very much so yeah whether they're even there or, or whether they've you know smartened up enough to mm -hmm. avoid the predation yeah mm -hmm. yeah definitely it's a, it's a similar story to when the wolves were reintroduced into yellowstone you had moose there that had never seen a wolf before so moose recruitment was nil for a few years and then all of a sudden now you're starting to see more moose numbers and so obviously yeah they figured it out like you're saying they they just adjust to the predator and learn how to survive learn how to re, you know bring those calves into maturity so yeah it is something that happens all over in nature it's just you know to be able to visually see it over time like you have you know see the same thing in yellowstone it's it's a unique and it's it's something that not everybody would even observe so yeah that's uh that's a good phenomenon to be able to tell the story on yeah let's hope that continues that way well yeah, yeah exactly. that's the moral of the story right because you've had what one yep. good year out of four years uh well i've had good experiences but by far this most recent trip was the best for caribou uh, but it was a small pocket of them, too. But that being said, you know, I was hearing by talking to locals all across the northern peninsula that they were doing well. You know, the fact that they said there was a herd of approximately 200. I'd never heard of that mm -hmm. in 
for many, many years, right? Uh, 2002 was my first trip to Newfoundland. There were a lot of woodland caribou at that time there before the start. Well, I guess they would have been at a tipping point, but not to the so much that people were recognizing it as they did after that. And then that's when the government put in some policy to protect, you know, the population and help it rebound, which it seems to be given what I've been told. But um, yeah, it was for photography. It was an amazing trip for caribou and they're really a, a fun animal to work. You know, they're very photogenic and, and because of their disposition, again, you still have to be smart about it, but they're, they're fun to photograph. So the, the next thing was moose. I needed moose because, well, yeah. And so this is, this is where you're sending all the teasers. You, yeah, I found my 85th shed of the day and <laughs> going around through the tuck, but you're sending texts with, with these little moose tidbits. And I've been kind of excited to hear this part of the story. So, cause you never did send any pictures of moose. You just sent the, you know, and posted the sheds with your camera. And so let's hear it. Spit it out. All right. So <laughs> I, f I heard about this place for the moose flew into this place and was hiking it. And the moose trails there were phenomenal. It was like city sidewalks for moose country, but it was all through the evergreens, Tuckamore's bog edges. So it was navigating moose country. And so I loved being in there. So I started out on my first hike. And I had the iPhone on my Osmo to tell the story because I want the before, during, and after for the shorts, if I can, if it works out that way. So the light is beautiful, and I'm hiking in. I'm going through the Tuckamore, and I come through a clearing. I'm talking about the sign I'm seeing. Did a little time lapse through the trail. Fast forward, everybody. Enjoy the walk. And I'm, I, I had this little twinge in my head and I'm not psychic. I really wish I was, of course. I'm not. But this twinge happened. It was like, Raycroft, get your camera out. Enough of this Osmo stuff. What if something happens? And I took literally a handful more steps into this clearing. And oh, shit. There's this big bull moose jumps up out of his bed like 30 yards from me. Because I was, again, working with the wind to my favor, into my face. And I can walk quietly because these are worn trails for the most part, making no noise. So I unfortunately startled him way back in the forest. And he, he runs across this clearing. And I have this beautiful visual burned into the back of my retina of this beautiful big bull just trotting across in front of me, across this clearing in perfect light. And then he stops. And I've got my camera in my backpack and the Osmo in my hand. Osmo wasn't on when I stepped into that clearing. <laughs> so I didn't get him running. He stopped right behind the one tree on the other side of the clearing. So I got his butt, I have one antler palm and one eyeball looking at me. So I drop the Osmo, toss that into the Tuckamore, and take my pack <laughs> off. And it's all spongy ground there. It's pretty cool. I get down on the ground, silent, you know, stealth mode, although the dude's watching me, so game's over. Get my camera out and think, please just step out into the light because this will fulfill what I need for my client. He's a beautiful bull. It's beautiful light. It's it's a perfect Newfoundland scene with the landscape, the bog, the Tuckamore. He's close to me. I mean, he wasn't probably 45 yards. And he won't move. So I left my pack. I take 10 steps to my right to try and pivot around to get him clear of the tree. I get two pictures where he's not quite clear of the tree. And then he starts to run again. <laughs> and I, I do my... I'm. I'm pretty good at, at talking moose talk, 
I, I can, you know, I'm like an opera singer for moose. <laughs> for, <laughs> for, I can, I can s- hey. swoon the moose, the, the bulls. The bulls more than the cows, I'm, I'm embarrassed to say. But that's how it works. <laughs> cows, Some people just have that touch. Yeah, Cows don't <laughs> don't come to calls, especially in the east, because the mating's different, right? In, in the east, they're a lot like deer, where one bull will tend one cow for you know, 24, 48 hours during her peak of estrus or heat, and then find another one. It's up to the dude to go find the cow, usually. In the northwest, like Alaska and the Yukon, the cows go to these hereming annual ritual spots and group up and have the most dominant bull to breed with and do it in numbers that way. So anyway, I made my call. Oh, did you get that? That was pretty oh, good. I thought that was gas. Yeah. Well, it's, it's not, it's no, not that was don't. pretty good. Stay with me. Stay that with was me. Pretty Doug. good. Oh, so you do that. And the, so he stopped, he puts on the brakes, but again, nowhere that I could get an image. And then he takes off into the bush, into the Tuckamore on a good moose trail, but I can't follow him because, and I said this in the short, if I, if we ever produce it, you know, when an animal takes off out of fear, just because it was startled, there's no other reason it happens. You can't follow it through the brush because then it's being pursued and it's got this, there are prey species and like somebody's after it, forget about it. So I cried for a minute. Because <laughs> <laughs> it would have been done. The project would have been done. He was beautiful. And another interesting in, New- in Newfoundland, so most places in moose country, they assess a bull moose by the width of his antlers. You've got the palm size and all that, but really they say a 40-inch, 50-inch, 60-inch, 70-inch, you know, if we're really lucky, 80-inch bull moose. In Newfoundland, you can assess the width, but nobody talks about that. Count points. That was a 10-point bull. So but it's five, all the five. points, right? It's not just all the brow tines. It's all the points. Everything. No matter how small they are, every point counts. So this bull was probably like a 22-point bull, which is big for Newfoundland. Just on now, one side, though, right? No, both sides. They count both so, sides. Yeah, so he was like 11 or 12 on each side. He was a nice bull. So Newfoundland moose are still moose. They're phenomenal animals, but they're not like Alaska Yukon moose. They're not as big. They're, they're larger than the Shiras moose, but not by much. And... Who knows why? One could speculate, you know, just coming from four or six animals. And there's a lot of similarity in the mature animals, too, as far as antler formation. Not a lot of diversity. So, anyway, he was a big bull for Newfoundland, and he was gone. So I kept hiking, and I found... I think that's important for people to hear the moral to that story. Even Mark Raycroft goes out and gets skunked once in a while. Oh, you'd be you'd be surprised how often Mark Raycroft smells like a skunk out there when that happens. And, you know, and it's no, it happens know, though. We've talked about it on so many podcasts. Oh, yeah. I mean, we have we have so many experiences that are wonderful in our mind's eye that never made it onto onto any kind of Absolutely. camera. Absolutely. Yep. It just it just doesn't happen that, you know, that's the way it is. But that's why we do this. I mean, it's still a wonderful experience. It was a thrill, but it was disappointing because all the variables were in place. The light, the animal, it was done. It didn't happen. And so I went on and I was navigating. I had no idea where I was heading. I mean, I kept my bearings about me, but I'd never covered this area before. And I was following these moose trails and I was going down this 
there's about a six foot drop on this wet spot. And again, a sixth sense moment. It's like, I should be finding moose antlers in here. Look at all this sign. How come there are no moose antlers? And I look to my right, and there's the base of an antler in the side of this stream, like the Coke can bottom base of the antler. Sorry, let me stop there. Like a beer can base <laughs> of the antler. Yeah, that's right. Man, yeah. man it up some. Yeah. It was a, <laughs> beer can. It was a big, and it was a tall boy. It was a growler beer can <laughs> sticking out of the mud. So I'm like, it's one of these things where it's like, how big is this moose antler shed? So I reached down, I grab it, and it, it was a big dude. I pulled that out, and there's a big paddle on it, but it was totally submerged in muck. Been there for a while. And so I took a couple of pictures of that with my iPhone, grinning shots. It smelt a little bit and was saturated, so I immediately put it back down to where it belonged and moved on. And I had no other moose that day. Didn't see one. I saw 5,000 moose tracks. And no moose. It made no sense. So I went back the next day and started the same route because of the success I had the first day. And went through all that section and didn't see any moose. And picked up where I left off, where I dropped that shed. And I had to retrace my steps to make it back to where I needed to be for dark um, that night from when I found that moose shed in the little stream. So I picked up from there and went on only about another 60 yards, and then I just started finding antler sheds the next day. And I found seven of them within probably 300 yards more walking. So, yeah. But what was interesting was the topography dropped there. So they get a lot of wind in Newfoundland. There's no big forest, right? And it's so coastal, so much of it, that the wind just howls across the rock when it does come up. And that's an interesting thing about Newfoundland. I mean, you really, there are, Stunningly beautiful days, but the weather can turn as what happened to me up my high country hike so quickly. And but it can turn back again. It's such a variable weather climate. But these moose, you could see to the west, the prevailing winds, there was a rise in the terrain. And then because of where the shelter from the wind, the trees were denser and taller there too. So it made sense. It was a perfect wintering ground. And that's why all the sheds were in that area. So Again, that was hike number two for moose. I can't explain. I saw another 5,000 tracks and no moose. Didn't see any. I'm like, I'm playing the wind. I'm quiet. It's not adding up. The third time I go, I start the hike from the same spot. And in this forest scene, it's like this ridge side. And again, stunted trees. Here's this bull moose standing there when I start my walk with one beam of light on him in this forest, standing as like the same height of the trees. He's about... 700 yards away, way too far for images. But I, I take a couple just for the fun of the storytelling of how we, you know, and then every 100 yards, I took another one, getting closer and closer. And I'm, and I'm it's a, again, a beautiful evening, so my fingers are double-crossed. I'm like, stay, stay, don't be a chicken moose, stay. <laughs> so, I, and I get within probably 100, 150 yards, and he goes. And he was staring off to the side. So he, he looked at me a couple of times, but I don't think it was due to me. Uh, anyway, he went off into the trees. I followed and ended up sneaking up on him on the next clearing and got some pictures. And he was actually wow. with an, another little bull. So I was able to get some images. And not as many as I thought, though. You know, So I got some of that bull that night. And then I went on and found the same bull that I'd bumped. That's good, too. But I was unable to get pictures of him again. 
So that's how that trip wrapped up. I know we're at an hour's timeline here, so I'm speeding up a little bit to, to wrap up this part of the story. Um, but I did get good moose images, but I really wanted to stay because the rut was ramping up and I knew in that area with the sign, it would just provide more and more opportunity with, with each passing day. So, and we had days where we just got locked down, you know, just poured rain and high winds and there was no way to do anything. So you say it seemed like, is it just you and your camera or what? Well, no, I was with a friend for part of it. Oh, okay. So there was at the beginning, I was with a guy, a friend, and then there was a section in the middle. I was on my own with the caribou. I was on my own for a handful of days. And then I had another guy with me on another friend for the end part with the moose there. So, yeah, we got. So with Newfoundland, I mean, really seemed like one day out of three was off due to weather. But, you know, it's what such a temperatures are we talking about? Well, it's autumn, so it, it was comfortable. It was because, well, actually, because it was coastal for some of it, I did have to have a jacket and a shell on because the wind off off the Gulf of the St. Lawrence up there was cold. It was brisk. So but, we're talking 40 Fahrenheit, 50? Well, this is where you and I have, have a, a translation problem. I know what 70 and 80 is and 60 is. I know what those feel like. Let me repeat, 40, <laughs> 50? No, let me, let me say 10. So 10 degrees, 10 degrees Celsius, you know, to 15 degrees Celsius. So it was, you know, heavy sweater weather when, for hiking. That was fine, just a sweater. And then, you know, in the evening, you got a shell on with the wind or, or an insulated layer for early and late. So yeah. it was quite comfortable, fall weather. There were a couple of days where there was snow in the air, ice pellets one time, but for the, that was the coldest it got. It was, so it was I was just wondering, the reason I was asking, it wasn't like it was unseasonably warm for moose behavior. Right. No, the, at the very beginning of the trip, it was that. Okay. At the very beginning, it was. Um, but by the time that I was onto the caribou, it, it felt like autumn and was comfortable, and the animals were moving a lot more. and It, it made it a lot better for hiking. Too. Yeah, because and I always, I mean, I always have an extra base layer I throw in my camera pack because when you hike up to high country, even though wool wicks away the moisture, it's still wet, right? So I, first thing I do when I get to my destination, if I've soaked from sweat, is I'll switch out the base layer and be comfortable the rest of the afternoon that way too. In case any of our listeners are, you know, plan a trip, <laughs> what should someone expect? Is this, you know, moderate, or strenuous? Some of it, so it depends on where you are. Some of it's very challenging and not due to elevation change so much as just the vegetation. So when you hike in Alaska and Yukon, it's a challenge because of all the berry shrubbery. And again, you follow game trails or you just have to really high step it over those berry shrubs, right? Newfoundland uh, is, is more difficult. If okay. you're along the coast... It's, it's not so bad. And if you find places where there's a density of animals, like where these moose were, it was easy walking on their game trails. But a lot of the, because of the bogs, that changes it up. I mean, there's oh. huge expanses you cannot navigate through. You have to go around to be safe because it's so wet. And the Tuckamore, to, you know, Newfoundlanders will love to hear this. I mean, it's second to none. You can't, there's no way to get through that stuff. So again, you just have to navigate around. But it's doable. It's all doable, but yeah, it's it's something that you want to be in shape for to get the most out of it. Mm-hmm. There's no point in being able to walk 200 yards and having to shut down and not explore the country, you know. And it's good to do it with somebody too. 
you know, especially if you're traversing near bogs, not to do it on your own. I've had more than one boot uh, grabbed off my foot by the oh, bog. Yeah. But, uh, I've had some experiences like that in Maine. I know exactly what you're talking about. Some of those bogs don't have a bottom. Right. Danger, yeah. danger. The danger. Very dangerous, yeah. But it's truly a magical place. And and there's so much, as far as people seeing Newfoundland and filming it, you can't, I mean, whether you're a wildlife photographer or just a travel photographer, the fishing ports and the boats and the landscape, the fjords, I mean, they're all irresistible photo subjects. You, you know, you just have to stop and take those pictures. And just the culture and the people, when you talk to the people, are so friendly. And they have their own sayings and their own dialect, which is just so fun to try to keep up with. Right? One of the things, I mean, I don't, is, is they'll say, um, stay where you're at and I'll come where you're too. <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, they're just lovely people. and, and I, I, You know what yeah, we should I, do is we should, uh, and I'll do it in the show notes for the show, we'll link to that video you showed me of that white moose. Oh, yeah, right. Because that is two Newfoundland women talking yes. about this white moose, and it's just yes, it's awesome that's the way right. that they're talking about it. So we'll link to that. that. I think that's smart. I'm glad you brought that up because then you get a flavor, right? Yeah, that's you get cool. A, you get a flavor. And that white moose, they were talking about it when I was there, and that – where I flew out of on the beaver was that town of Stephenville where that moose was seen, but nobody had seen it since summer. But the bull, you could tell in the video, it had to be at least a three-year-old bull. I mean, he'd been around for a while. So there are a few white moose in Newfoundland. I've just never been lucky enough. And how, how crazy would that be, right? Just be hiking on a moose trail, come into a little bog and have a white bull moose standing there. I mean, That'd be that's awesome. that, crazy. Yeah. That's that's one of those moments where how do you keep it together and get the get the great images and not just put stand there. Put the Osmo away. Yeah, put the Osmo away. <laughs> yeah. You know, put the jaw back up and and the eyeballs back in the socket and try and get some pictures. So that but, Tuckamore, have you ever been in the Hemlocks in Alaska? Yeah. I think it's it's got to be the same sort of situation because where I was filming moose in Alaska a couple of weeks ago. Yes, the right. bulls would go into this hemlock patch, and right. you, you can't make it. They would make it through it. They would just bull their way through it. But for us to walk through it was very difficult. I think it'd have some similarity. I, like even the moose don't go through the Tuckamore. Oh, they don't. There's there's jokes that the old the old fishermen you know would just run on top of the Tuckamore, <laughs> right? <laughs> but you, you know the animals have to go around it. But I mean I think there'd be some similar any of the ground hugging coniferous vegetation that's dense like that is similar but tuckamores i haven't seen that anywhere else to this degree of so i'm, I'm hoping that someday we get we can all go and, and do more podcast work in newfoundland and some of these other adventures to be had there because it's it's a really cool spot and i really think you know the more time i spend with you guys the more i love all you guys but i think we have some fun at the viking village the four of us you know i'd love to go Absolutely yeah. loved it. Yeah. Yeah, you can thank, inner Viking. You can thank uh, Net, Netflix right. for that little tidbit of useless information that's running through my brain and just <laughs> I finally had a moment where I could use it. <laughs> yeah, that's it's a neat part of the country. I mean, to think that somewhere that far north was the first place that any European ever touched. Mm. It, it's pretty impressive, but then you think, you know, Coming across Iceland, Greenland, 
it makes sense. That was the root. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and they redid it. Uh, they did a, a big celebration. Uh, I'm not sure how many years ago. It was a number of years ago now, but in authentic Viking boats, and they showed up there. And they were built all over, like in Norway and stuff. And then, yeah, so it's, there's a lot of history. But it's just a really unique, truly unique experience. And the landscape, I mean, it, all across Newfoundland, but especially when you get to the top of the northern peninsula. Atlant so it's Lands of Meadows. But if, any, if you Google anything to do with Viking Village in Newfoundland, you'll see it. And then see the tourism uh, commercials that really entice people. I mean, there's a hilarious one where the door just closes in the wind. On, on the sod hut, right? And it's like the Vikings vanished years ago, but did they? Right? Stuff like this. I mean, it's just great, great. Oh. Uh, yeah, so yeah. where does all that stuff run? Do they just run it mainly in eastern Canada, or do they run it up and down the east coast, the whole east coast of North America? Because I don't ever see any of that that tourism info, which would explain why I would never even consider going there, other than knowing <clears> you, and you've said, oh, yeah, we've got to go there, and... We just haven't made it happen yet, but it yeah, sounds so it. intriguing that you would think it would know. be a place that people would go. I'm, I'm sure they have their market that they tap, and I don't know to what extent is distributed. But, you know, I have so many friends throughout the United States that I talk to so frequently about travel and wildlife and destinations, and it, people just don't know about it. I don't know why it's not marketed there. I mean, it's online. It's on YouTube. I mean, you can watch them. And it's. I think people should watch them because you can very quickly get the, the feel and flavor of Newfoundland through these well-done advertisements. I know that, you know, so the primary airline in Canada is Air Canada. And I have seen this year that they're running those ads on all the TV screens on the back of the seats. But that's still just marketing within the country. And for the most part, Canadians, especially in the eastern half of Canada, are familiar with Newfoundland. And those that haven't been there, I mean, seem to know enough that they want to go. It's on people's bucket list because of what they've seen and what they've been told. But to the West Coast, uh, you know, it's a bit removed. And uh, But anyway, I, 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 it's a good question, Mike. I don't know how far it goes. But that's one of the reasons I was excited to do this podcast because it really is – a unique destination and it has so much to offer and it's not expensive and it's very inviting and for wildlife photography you know it's it's a stark i mean it's a lot of forested land but it's also a stark rugged landscape you know you can do some incredible landscape photography there and playing with light in addition to maybe finding moose and caribou and there are puffins there there's a lot of there are a lot of whales that go by the coast um there are other marine mammals, dolphins in the fjord. You can rent kayaks. Quite a few years ago, uh, my wife Pilly and I took the kids in the summertime, and we went to Gross Morn for a week, and we had a lot of fun. Uh, you know, one of the things, aside from the kayak story, there were more moose back then. And so my son Andrew was probably about 10 years old, and so I, I made it a bet. Whoever could find the first bull moose would get an ice cream. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he found it. Yeah, that was enough, that was enough incentive. But yeah, we you can get you can do kayak tours right there. So there's Norris Point, which is right at Rocky Harbor, which is those are the two town sites in Grossmorn. They were there before it was a national park. And Grossmorn is is another like the Viking Village, a UNESCO World Heritage Site because of the fjords, because of the tablelands, that Earth's mantle um, geography that takes place there. But in Norris Point, you can rent kayaks and go for tour in the fjord and. And have a really cool experience that way, weather permitting. But there's also a marine center there, too, that you can tour and, and 
get a feel for what the marine life is like below the surface, uh, a, a research center open to the public through mm. the summer months. So it sounds to me like we should probably do ourselves a wild and exposed workshop up there. Sure. We have a lot of fun. And, and the places like I, time permitting, schedule permitting, I'd like to go back next autumn because um, of where I found this caribou stag and how majestic he was. And he's on the upswing. I mean, who knows if he survives the winter, but he was in such a great location. And I had um, somebody who lived in the area showed me a picture of him last year. And it was interesting. He was so excited with his image. It was a good image. And uh, one of the locals there. And I said to him, well, is he about the same size as he was last year? Just trying to gauge his maturity. He says, yes, he's the very same. And then he showed me the picture. And he had no uppers at all. And he was he's like 40% bigger this year. So I'm like, wow. wow. So he's coming along. So I, if And I was unable to take my wife this year. So I'd like her to experience this because it was a lot of fun. It's just the culture. is You can't help but have fun there and just the fishing ports and there's so many opportunities that are foreign to our everyday lives here right that you can experience there in addition to the caribou the lighthouses if you're a lighthouse aficionado they're they're all over the place there and they're magnificent and the, and the images you can get with the lighthouse photography and the seascapes and the rocky coasts i mean that's another thing that people would enjoy we got the workshop expert now with doug so I think maybe that's in the cart. Ron and I the other day spent some time with a pilot up in Alaska trying to figure out a bunch of locations that we could do a workshop and have some cabins to use and flying in and out every day. So that I think that's on the, the radar screen for all of us. Sounds good. Well, it'll be fun to do. It'll be fun to share some of this with some of our listeners in a, in a more personal one-on-one -on -one kind of experience. Or one-on-six one on or two-on-six or whatever fun we can get up to. Well, Mark, this has been fascinating. It really has. It's one of those places, like you said, you, you know, you kind of think about it, but you don't think about it. And, uh, you know, uh, yeah, you've, you've convinced me just tonight that I want this damn sure a place I want to go. Yeah, no doubt. But, glad to hear it. Check it out. I mean, you, you'll see the images. So for our listeners, go to wildandexposed.com go on to our we podcast page for the wild and exposed podcast you can see all of our great podcasts from all of the destinations we've been to this year but you can also for this one on the show notes you'll see the images and some of the stories i've been talking about the images to complement the stories and then some of the short video stuff and trouble that i fun sorry fun that i got up to <laughs> as well and even even the fishing community stuff and some of those images you know help paint the picture but you can also go online and see all of that too. But you know, check it out on our website, and and enjoy that part of it. So I'm I'm hoping it gets on more people's radar because it really, I mean, genuinely deserves to be. It's a cool place, a very different landscape than what we're used to, and culture. It's just really inviting, and and fun. All right, guys. So I want to thank all of our loyal listeners, and I want to thank you for coming on the journey to Newfoundland, Canada, this week. No matter what platform you're listening to our podcast on, please take the time to follow and subscribe. Give us the thumbs up, the five-star rating. Show us the love that allows us to continue to do what we love to do and to bring this to you week after week. Ron, I believe you have something you want to share. Yeah, I was just going to give a shout-out to Scott Ramsey. 
Um, one of our listeners that interacts with us on Instagram, Facebook, watches the podcast on uh, on the YouTube, watches our shorts. Uh, Scott had a health scare. Glad you're still with us, buddy, and uh, look forward to going out and being able to shoot with you soon. Glad to hear it. You've been listening to Wild and Exposed Podcast. Thanks for tuning in.